deep in London's beating heart lies a wall. I'd like to it be if you know the call. For if the wall steps aside, be not afraid of what you see. Cause the wizard world has opened up as has the Griffin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Shrieking Shack. This is a Harry Potter reread podcast for but <laughs> sorry, I'm gonna take another run at that one. Sure. So it- Sure. <laughs> this is a Harry Potter reread podcast for Laughs fans. I am your host, ZC. And I'm Liz. And Liz, through the magic of editing, I am going to fix that horrible intro I just did. Now you can't. I can't? I can't edit that? Well, no, not, now that you've said that, you can't. Fuck, you're right. Now that I've said it, it has to stay in. Those are the rules. Those are the rules. I've fucked up. I can't believe, I can't believe you've done this. <laughs> I can't believe you've used your, your microphone technician powers to... Uh, to, to pull rank on me here, but you're right. I can't edit that. Um, that's a that's a damn shame. Liz, how are you doing? I'm hanging in. You're hanging in there. I'm hanging in. How are you? You're chilling. I'm doing pretty good. I I would just like to know. You know, in in times of crisis and in times of stress. You know, even when we are not in the middle of a global pandemic mm. and and various political disasters and whatnot. Oh sure. Things can still get a little a little heavy, you know? And and I wonder, you know, what what is it what is it that, that relaxes you when when things when when the shit hits the fan? What's what's your go to? Hmm. I like to have a nice cup of tea. Mm-hmm. I like to get out the, the old weighted blanket. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, I, that I like uh, very much. Maybe play play an old video game that I haven't played in a while that will, mm-hmm. that will soothe me and 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 uh, like maybe a Paper Mario, something mm. fun, something light, something easy. What yeah. about you? Oh, you know, I like to uh, hate read horrible celebrities' Twitter feeds. Mm. Um, I like to find weird shit on YouTube that has 100 views that I can laugh at. Sure. Um, and I like to, uh, read a, read a cozy children's book. Well, sure. I love children's literature. Yeah. I love, I love, I'm trying to think of a good children's book to, to name for this bit I'm doing. The Hobbit. Off the cuff here. How about the name Hobbit. The Hobbit? I love The Hobbit. What a great children's book it's uh it's light it's easy to read relatively for something written in 1939 or whatever you can read you can read smaug's lines in like a benedict cumberbatch voice in your head oh you know i'm reading smaug's line in, <laughs> lines in a benedict cumberbatch voice in my head and perhaps <laughs> out loud as well you never know i'd love to hear that <laughs> well when we get to the tolkien <laughs> podcast maybe Maybe you will. Um but we have a new a new children's book on the block and I couldn't be more excited. Yeah, it's about time no one's written a children's book since the Hobbit. Yeah, Actually, that, that, fun fact. that was the last one. Well, <laughs> yeah, we got let's see. We got where there was Peter Rabbit, there was The Wind in the Willows and then there was The Hobbit and then after that kind of stopped. There weren't any more, yeah. For a few decades. Um no, now now we have a new one thanks to one, wait for it, J.K. Rowling. Wow. She's done it again. Clap. Everybody, please clap. <laughs> Woo! I'm so excited. I'm so, this is such a, 
perfect storm of dumb bullshit. Like things things were happening this week where I like I was seeing them and I was going like, "Oh, that's going to be the news segment next week." Yeah. Uh, and and I now have this massive pile here all related mostly to the same thing. This is all this is all JK Rowling stuff. But boy, she has been on a on a tear this week, huh? I can't be on Twitter anymore. It's all that it is my entire feed. Maybe literally every <laughs> other tweet uh, it is, is is that. Yeah. So if you've been living under a rock this past these past few days, J.K. Rowling, famous author of a little series you might have heard of if you listen to this podcast called Fantastic Beasts: Crimes of Grindelwald. <laughs> has announced and has started releasing chapter by chapter a new quote political fairy tale that has been that is a phrase that has been bouncing around in my brain like a ping pong ball ever since i heard it uh this is that this was a uh, like i like like you know i i said just now that like oh there were so many things that were happening where i was like this is going to be our new segment this one thing let's start at the beginning like at the end of last week's recording mm-hmm. i mentioned to you that like oh jk rowling's changed her her like twitter banner again yeah and it and i was like what could it be it looks like a black and white photo of like a, a lake or something and and that was that and i was like well maybe there's a book cover reveal maybe she's gearing up to reveal the strike cover or something that's funny she likes to do stuff in her twitter banner i was not ready for her to then like tease the cover of this this children's novel in that and then announce and post the first two chapters. And now, today, the, like, we're up to eight chapters or something mm-hmm. of this new children's book. She just fucking went for it. In also, and this is maybe the more important part, and I think the, the part that makes this so, like, frustrating and delicious to me as just a, a thing happening, is maybe her most outrageously over the line like like endorsement of transphobic shit yet that she has done mm. like like in the midst of this and also i nearly forgot this while i was rattling all these things off announced an art competition yes fuck there's so much going on here but we have to start at the beginning the ichabog the ichabog the ichabog the ichabog has existed for a while i think even perhaps even in an early episode of this show we talked about how she wore that dress to a function that had like handwritten manuscript pages on it Mm -hmm. Um, and and how no one has read whatever that is and and isn't that interesting what could that possibly be i bet it sucks and now we have it and we know that it does suck I think she teased it a little bit uh, otherwise as well, said that she had worked on or had a children's book that she wanted to release at some point. But I feel like I only ever read it through third hand sources. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think I think it was all pieced together from interviews when people figured out that she was Robert Galbraith. Sure. because it was like, oh yeah, I, I were I was working on another children's fantasy thing before, and then I decided no, I'd rather work on 
my more adult fiction and 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 like I th- so I think this like I think like the nebulous idea of of this story has been known for a while and I think that the I think the the political fairy tale thing is a tagline that has like bounced around a lot because I believe that's what she said the dress was because it was like it was like a fancy dress thing and every 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 outfit at this party had like a theme and she said oh i'm going as a political fairy tale or, or something like that so that 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 part has been a known thing for a while so perhaps more than any other fiction she's written i do believe that she wrote this well in advance <laughs> yeah of, let's 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 read her introduction here. The idea for the Ichabod came to me while I was still writing Harry Potter. I wrote most of a first draft in fits and starts between Potter books, intending to publish it after the Deathly Hallows. However, after the last Potter book, I wanted to take a break from publishing, which ended up lasting five years. In that time, I wrote The Casual Vacancy, and Robert Galbraith wrote The Cuckoo's Calling. After some dithering, uh, I decided I wanted to step away from children's books for a while. At that point, the first draft of the Ichabog went up into the attic, where it's remained for nearly a decade. Over time, I came to think of this as a story that belonged to my two young children, because I'd read it to them in the evenings when they were little, which made uh, had always been a happy family memory. Um... A few weeks ago at dinner, I tentatively mooted the idea of getting the Ichabog down from the attic and publishing it for free for children in lockdown. My now teenagers were touchingly enthusiastic, so downstairs came the very dusty box, and for the last few weeks I've been immersed in a fictional world I thought I'd never enter again. As I worked to finish the book, I started reading chapters nightly to the family again. This was one of the most extraordinary experiences of my writing life, and the Ichabog's first two readers told me what they remembered— from when they were tiny and demanded the reinstatement of bits they particularly liked. I obeyed. I'll be posting a chapter or two or three every weekday between May 26th May and 10th July on the website. We plan to publish some translations soon and we'll post further details on the website when they're available. And here is the most important part. The Ichabog is a story about truth and the abuse of power. To forestall one obvious question, the idea came to me well over a decade ago, so it isn't intended to be read as a response to anything that's happening in the world right now. The themes are timeless and it could could apply to any era or country. Have you read past the first two chapters? I tried reading the third chapter, then my eyes glazed over and I fell over and cocked my head on my desk and then fell off my chair and rolled around on the floor for a little bit, so no. That's not what happened to me, but I didn't read past the, two, <laughs> the first two chapters, um, so I'm very curious what, what current events this is going to seem like it is about, but isn't. Yeah, I I'm mean, assuming fake news. That's going to be my guess just after reading the first two chapters, but we'll yeah, see. Yeah, that- that's kind of where there's a bunch of stuff there's that it feels like there's a little bit of prince harry and what's her face maybe in there sure um there's there's like the bare bones of like a class story there especially because like the the you know the like lower class put upon characters are from the north so it's definitely about scotland's relationship to the uk right like it's it's i mean it is i mean she i mean she says it's a political fairy tale so it's not going to be subtle or anything but the part where i was like i'm not sure if i believe that this has not received any tweaks for uh, uh um you know for the mo- the modern era is uh 
they sure go on and on about King Fred's blonde hair. Yeah. And I was like, surely this is Boris Johnson, right? Like, and she's also edited it since she supposedly yeah. wrote it 10 years ago. Yeah. So who knows? I'm waiting for the Corbin character to show up. That will be the clincher. <laughs> because because the thing is this is so here's the thing this is a cl- you know this is a class metaphor but we know that jk rowling is a massive centrist so who is going to be the uh the villain who is actually you know who is claiming to support the, the you know the lower class people in the not nice fairy tale land uh, who are put upon by the people in the rich fairy tale land, but is secretly using them to insert world domination thing here, right? Like, like where? When is that shoe dropping? I think it could go in a lot of different directions. Yeah, I think honestly, outside of like any any directions it could go and how bad it could get, like politically, I just think it's fucking boring to read, and like I. I really had to center myself. I had to do this with my reading this week for the the main episode part of the episode as well because I was like, okay, I hate J.K. Rowling's guts at this point, right? Like, I mean, I have for a while, but like, boy, am I like extra on fire on that front at the moment. Mm-hmm. And I really had to like, like, you know, center myself and go like, okay, I can't just go into this and to like dunk on it, right? Like, I need to read this critically. Sure. And I tried to do that with the Ichabog, but it's so bad. It's like the the Harry Potter was a kid's book, the first one, Mm -hmm. but it is not. It was not a like condescending children's novel. This is a from what I can tell a like full novel length story that is written like a Richard Scarry picture book. Yeah, I don't know how long it's supposed to be. Um, I thought that I had read it somewhere. I think that I probably have a little bit more of a generous take on it, mm. just taking her out of the equation at least, mm-hmm. in that it is for babies, you know? <laughs> right. Yes, and, yeah. And it is boring to me, <laughs> I, but I, I maybe have a higher tolerance for that sort of, of thing, but, but it is like, I mean, Harry Potter is for probably slightly older kids and this mm-hmm. this is this is a book for babies right like yes, this yes. this is this is about as 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 little little kid um as you as you can get yeah um i feel nothing about like the thing is is i never would have heard of it seen it or encountered it if it wasn't written by her right because this would <laughs> yes. be just a, a rand like how many picture books are there at the right, bookstore but- at the barnes of noble that are exactly yeah. like this that I have never seen and will never hear of. Right? Yeah. So I don't really care. I don't care. It's, it is nothing to me. It, it rolls <laughs> completely off my back. It is, it is for little babies. I don't, I don't know. That's See, my here's, take on it. Here's the thing. <laughs> I, I don't disagree except that like normally, like, like w- when you say it's written for babies, we are talking like, this is some like inky binky bunny went down to the store to get carrot. <laughs> right mm-hmm. <laughs> like re- like really really teeny tiny toddler stuff but the difference is that normally those books are like 16 pages long and there are cute pictures you look at in sure those. this is like a tome this is a this is like 
This, I mean, like, compared to, like, I don't know, the Stinky Cheese Man or whatever, this is, like, a, a war and peace. Like, the first chapter alone is longer than most, like, kids' books at this level, I think. I think that there's a medium level that you're discounting. Like, there, there's I definitely totally a medium be... zone of, like, novella length for kind of medium kids that this would be for. Yeah. I could I'm not be... saying it's good. I, I don't care one way <laughs> or the other about it. I, I am taking more the position that this is so utterly unremarkable, except yeah. for it is branded with her yes. stuff, right? Yes, yes. And, and it's like it's like being treated as like a massive event, right? Because she's releasing it as like serialized chapters. She's got this art competition going. It's it's getting a uh, a full physical release in November or whatever. It is. This is the return to the the you know the fantasy realm for her. Mm-hmm. And, and all the headlines and stuff. Yep. Yeah, it is. It is. I. I. I think. I think I can agree. It is. It is. Uh, it is just unremarkable as as a work on its own. Uh, I think the part that is way funnier is that uh, she is crowdsourcing art from children for free. Uh, and then when someone pointed that out, she got really upset and and like set all her followers on them. Yes. That is, that is the event that is happening. And also, I follow her on Twitter still, and she is quote tweeting, retweeting all of the children that are sending in art, and it is my entire Twitter feed. Speaking of babies, mm. J.K. Rowling, I think, might be history's biggest baby. Yeah. Because the the way that she has reacted to, like light criticism of this business practice like like it could have been totally out of her hands right this it this is a very bog standard corporate art contest thing sure this, this is a boilerplate social media marketing thing that like every company dusts off and then gets yelled at about and they have to change you know they, it is the classic like submit your illustrations and then the ones we'll like will put in the book and that's what you get and also you sign over all rights forever for this artwork and we can do whatever we want with it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Correct. Um, and the, like, <laughs> the response when someone criticizes you for that is like, oh, we'll look into changing that. Cause that, you know, that there are so many companies that have been through this. It is as the nature, as, as people who have like gotten wise to like the ways that creators get screwed on the internet, these things that seemed like novel community building ideas, I think most people have realized, like, oh, maybe that's a little exploitative. For her to be, like, the most famous, richest author in the world, and to just say, like, we're gonna send me your free illustrations, please, and getting this army of children, and also parents. That's the other part that is very funny about this. Like, describe describe the, like, energy a lot of these posts have. I mean... I'm not saying that a child would not be enthusiastic about doing this art contest. And I say that because 100% I would have been, right? If I if yeah. I was eight years old and, and, you know, an adult said, oh, J.K. Rowling's hold, holding an art contest. And if you win, you get to be in the book. If I were, you know, eight to ten years old, I'd be like, oh, my God, this is my moment. This is this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. I would do mm-hmm. it. Absolutely. Um but the the immediate 
illustrations being being submitted by parents within like literally a half an hour of the thing <laughs> being released. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's the, it's the same. It's the same shit, right? It's the same shit in her replies every day. J.K. Rowling, if you like this, it's gonna make my life. I'm gonna. I can just. I can just kill myself because my life doesn't matter anymore. I love you so much. You are. Yeah. You know, and on and on. But it's like my my son Billy, eight years old, so inspired by the Ichabod. It's his favorite book ever. He couldn't wait to to draw something immediately within twenty minutes of this release. Here it is. If you like this tweet, it's gonna make his day. He's gonna be he's going to remember this for the rest of his life. Like that, it's just all that. Her reply, if you just like search at JK Rowling right now, you will just scroll through this wall of posts that are like JK Rowling. My son was born with dying disease and is, is every day walks uphill two directions from to and from school with with the pain of knowing that he is dying and then being reborn and dying again he's the only child who has ever had this this disease but every day he comes home and says mom while i was dying and being reborn today and suffering like sisyphus on the mountain pushing this boulder Mm -hmm. of my existence up the hill Mm -hmm. there's one thing that kept me going and it was knowing that J.K. Rowling might look at my drawing of King Fred from the Ichabog. I never saw the light come on in Billy's eyes until he until his eyes lit up upon seeing the first chapter of the Ichabog released <laughs> mere ten minutes ago by J.K. Rowling online. <laughs> my son, Prometheus, <laughs> has has never has never had the spark of life until I started reading him the Ichabog and he said, Dr. Frankenstein, I need to draw something for this beautiful woman. I know he doesn't look at it, but I promise he is seven to twelve years old and thus <laughs> eligible for this art contest. Oh, that's the other thing. I have been having a great time combing those replies, trying to find the ones that are like, my son drew this wink. And that oh are like, my god, yeah. There are definitely some that are like an adult's concept of what a child's drawing is like. Mm-hmm. That's the Niffler I drew. <laughs> that's, that's the Ichabog, actually. <laughs> it, is, it is such a fucking clown show from top to bottom. Um, and, and, you know, now that the criticism of the art competition thing, because, you know, it is, it is... It is unpaid labor. Like I understand, you know, there I'm sure with no maliciousness you could arrive at the idea, what if I held a fan art contest and we the reward is they put it in I put it in the book. Wouldn't sure. that be special? Like I get how you arrive there. But like this is basic stuff at this point and now she is now she is doing my favorite thing which is the um the same thing that we were talking about a couple weeks ago with the Harry Potter encyclopedia mm-hmm. right where she was like I'm just so upset about this I just might not do it anymore we nobody gets a Harry Potter encyclopedia <laughs> and I I'm hoping hoping against hope that that happens with the Ichabod she's like well I'm so sorry to those of you who sent in your child's beautiful drawings, but someone has spoiled the punch, and now nobody gets to have their illustration in there. 
and and I am going to sit and huff in my in my castle about this. I mean, I don't even know why she responded to the criticism. Like, if she's still going to do yeah. it, uh, the criticism. I'm not saying it didn't go around. It did. It definitely got the like, you know, the first reply. Like, wow, this blew up. Here's this thing right. going on. That's fine. But in in the terms of like J.K. Rowling's world, who cares? Like, just ignore it. Yeah. Yeah, J.K. Rowling is such a funny person in that respect, and like the the things that she will respond to, like like you know, ev- every day, every tweet that she sends out, like fifty pretty big accounts will like reply to her and say "fuck off, turf." Right? Mm-hmm. Doesn't doesn't you know care a whit about that at this point. If if you tell jk rowling that i don't know her her art contest is is slightly outdated as a concept she will screen cap it post it to her 15 million followers without blurring out the name and just going like oh if only people would stop being mean to me right like it's just like she's 52 years old or whatever and she's like myspace posting about this it's so funny and also she took that moment to announce the um that the kids that win will get prizes by the way oh right of course yes definitely (laughs) definitely they will be that's always been planned just like nagini being a human woman (laughs) it was actually part of the plan all along to compensate the winners for their work i mean it also just doesn't address the criticism at all Right, it's the that is the funniest part of that is she you know she she did like a big thread about this criticism, and like on tweet three out of three or whatever she was like, basically just restated like no I am not asking people to give WB or or, you know to give me and my publishing company uh, their art for free. I am merely asking that you without being paid draw stuff for me and i'll use it any and questions there's a prize. <laughs> and there's a prize if you win if um, you win i mean I, I this this these tweets i'll just read them uh cuz yeah. they're funny um the op it is such an inoffensive post too right like it's not inflammatory in any way it's yeah. just like J.K. Rowling is soliciting free artwork from children to illustrate her new book, The Ichabog. However, she does not mention that by submitting your child's art, Rowling and Scholastic will have the right to use it as they see fit, royalty-free, even if your child doesn't win. And then there's some screenshots of the terms and conditions, which are, and I, I fully admit, I don't know anything about copyright law. I don't I don't know shit. I can only read what's here, which is that it's um, a non-exclusive license agreement, Right. Um, mm-hmm. I assume that it's all like bog standard legalese here, like are there, that are on all of these. And J.K. Rowling yeah. screen caps that I've been absolutely loving seeing the children's artwork for the Ichabog. So I was sorry to see this tweet, which misrepresents the terms of Scholastic's illustration competition. Parentheses. It's important to realize that different terms and conditions apply in different countries. A non-exclusive license simply allows the use of the entries of your children's artwork on social media in articles and other materials around the contest. Scholastic won't use them for anything else. Without this non-exclusive license, 
I wouldn't be allowed to share pictures on social media or respond to the artists. Only winner, <laughs> only winners will be asked to transfer copyright, and they will, of course, receive prizes in addition to inclusion in the book. Hope this helps. I don't think anything she said that contradicts or addresses any of the criticisms yeah. in the OP. No, like, like the it is fairly standard legalese, right? But the problem is that that legalese fucking sucks, right? Like, it's it, signing a, a, a license over to Scholastic to use your artwork in things that they will make money off of and you will not make money off of. Like, that just is fundamentally bad. That's the, pro- uh, that's the problem. Yeah, is that the is the problem. Um, the other part that I like about that that I, I, I thought was hilarious was the the weird lie at the end there about like if i didn't do this i wouldn't be able to retweet and post see the the way that i'm interpreting that isn't like that she wouldn't be allowed to i mean it's based on like her contract scholastic right uh, I, I mean that makes sense because a lot yeah i am okay. only familiar with that stuff similar to like uh i guess the poll here would be like Magic the Gathering, right? Like the creators of of magic aren't allowed to look at um, people's custom card submissions, right? right? Okay. Like oh, the- so or like a Star Trek spec script where it's like we we will just send you the boilerplate, thank you, but we can't read this because we will get in trouble. Exactly. Okay. So that's how I read that. But again, that's her contract with Scholastic. <laughs> so I, that's kind of neither here nor there. As far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Oh, God, it's so funny. And the, the the big shitty cherry on top of this whole thing is that the in the midst of this criticism over doing an art contest, one of the people who reply or one of the accounts that replied to J.K. Rowling saying like i can't believe people are being so mean to you for trying to do go oh that's the other thing there are all these people in the replies who are sucking up they're being like you can't just can't no good deed goes uh, you know unpunished or whatever it's like what good deed asking for free stuff what, what are you fucking talking about um but uh one of them was a a glasgow based hate group uh, that campaigns against uh, uh, trans protectionary laws, like right out in the open, just straight up a, a, an anti-trans activism group. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this this Twitter account in particular for this group, I, I think that oftentimes with like uh, your kind of ordinary turf accounts, you either have to know the rhetoric already to know what to look for, mm-hmm. or it's kind of like... I mean, you have to know the dog whistles, right? Not this yeah. one. This is just like Mm-mm. hate hate group right in the bio. It is not. Yeah. There's no. There's no deniability here, right? Absolutely zero. It it is straight up just a bashing group. Yeah. Um, and she just sent them a you know a lovey dovey reply like thank you so thank you so much for your support it's wi- it's women like you you know huge yeah. s- huge alarm you know klaxons wee woo wee woo going off around you know women there yeah and she follows the account and all of that and it's not it's not a big account either which yeah you kind of have to she knows. you have to kind of go find it you know oh, i'm I mean, sure she knows these people yeah Right, right. But uh, yeah, just just out and out her most sinister, direct, 
like endorsement of this like the the nastiest fringe of this nasty thing yet and of course it you know it got zero traction it it's it hasn't really been an issue because she is flooding the timeline with a million fucking pencil drawings of the Ichabog. Well, duh, and that's the real news: is the Ichabog. The that's me- right. The mediocre children's book. The return to children's books from J.K. Rowling, beloved fantasy author. What a sad person she is, huh? Yeah, yeah, this sucks. I'm so sick of seeing people simping for J.K. Rowling in the replies. <laughs> they are they're weakening me every day. <laughs> It is pathetic. It's so sad. It's beyond read another book. It's like un- unlearn the concept of royalty. I don't understand why people are like this. They're, they're behaving like I think you said either I can't remember if this was on air or just like in conversation last week, but you were talking about like when the king would walk through the streets of a medieval city, right? <laughs> and people would like would like you know prostrate themselves to get magical healing from him or what like that is the way people behave around her it is crazy you know i think that like twitter stan culture i you could say a lot about it you could say a lot about the k-pop stands and on and on and on but i have not encountered <laughs> anything quite like this i suppose this particular brand of simping for her is it's different i mean like maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm too far removed from like true k-pop stuff right but the difference with like k-pop stuff and jk rowling stuff is that k-pop fans are like i will kill for you (laughs) whereas jk rowling stands are like i would like please kill me like like (laughs) please grant me freedom from from these earthly bonds I would be I would be thrilled to to die in your presence, ma'am. Like it's just it's just the inverse, right? It's it's really wild. No self-actualization, unlike K-pop where where you know they are absolutely you know uh, uh, scary mobilized online harassment armies, but but the, the 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 angle is quite different. They are you know, they 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 have their knives out whereas the the JK Rowling replies are all like the the like the maid that Damien makes jump off the building in the omen. <laughs> this is for you, Damien. Like, like that is that is all of her replies all the time. It's crazy. It's miserable. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to. I, I can't <laughs> do it anymore. I've got this this Ichabog. <laughs> the flood of the Ichabog fan art is is too much. I think that I might have been defeated. I I had to check myself this week because so I told I, I, I told the story last week about how like, you know, I'm obviously I'm not not paying attention to JK Rowling because one, because I can't, and two, because I like I said on Twitter, I possess the the horrible gene that like gives me plus one energy every time I see a rich person say something stupid, mm-hmm. right? Um I like I, I just I, I can't escape that. Um but I made that like I, I've made I got really bored and I was like I just wanna I just wanna write some dumb shit and I made that Jack Sloper Twitter account. Yeah. And the first thing I did was I was like, oh well I gotta follow JK Rowling on this, even though I had like unfollowed it on main, right? <laughs> and I, and I was like and then I logged into the Jack Sloper account to write something and I just saw like all the Ichabog stuff and I was like, what am I fucking doing? What are, why did I do this? I, I specifically undid this on my other account. What a, what a dumb, dumb thing. 
uh, and, a, and a horrible account and a horrible person. Uh, but uh, but yeah, that that's the news this week. God, I feel like there was other stuff too, but the Ichabod oh, there really totally just... was. The, the, there's the fucking internet detectives found out that the studio that everyone knows is working on the Harry Potter game is in fact still working on a Harry Potter game. I am delighted by this news. I'm I'm sad that the Ichabod has kind of overshadowed it. Um, yeah. Just because uh, the detectives on the subreddit for the game are so funny, and they found and zoomed in on a what looks like an artist's like inspiration uh, reference photo board, and found like a deviant art <laughs> photo manipulation of Harry Daniel Radcliffe, Harry Potter, um, like photo manipulated onto. Uh, like the My Chemical Romance band uniform photo. <laughs> it's so good. I, mm, if, if the official Auror outfit in this game, which is set in like the late 1800s, I think, mm-hmm. turns out to be just like the Black Parade fit, <laughs> that's, that's a better, that's a better choice than has been made in the Harry Potter series in at least a decade. Yeah, I'm all for it. Yeah. Uh, there, uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of stuff with that, like, there, I mean, it's, it, like, I don't think it's news, that they're, like, still working on it, like, I, I guess, duh, but, like, at the same time, it, it, it makes me happy to see, one, because I just, I want that game, right, like, like, whether it is good or bad, that thing is just going to be such a experience for us, mm-hmm. And then also, I just love internet detective bullshit. I love people zooming in on, like, five pixels in a YouTube video and going like, oh, this is proof that Elder Scrolls Six is set in Hammerfell or whatever, right? Like, I, I love that shit. I can't get enough of that. I'm starting to get very concerned for all of the hopeful gamers out there uh, that are now setting themselves up to expect The Witcher 3 but Harry Potter on next-gen consoles. And well, it's going to well, be see, the greatest the... game of all time. That's the realistic end of the wish list people are writing. Uh, the the people who are going like, what if it was The Witcher, but with Harry Potter characters? Like, lacking imagination, I suppose, but also, like, I, I too wish that games were very good, right? <laughs> yeah, that would be great. That would be great if all games were excellent, like The Witcher 3. Um but the other part that was that I, I I found funny about that was there are multiple like wish list posts on this on the subreddit for this game, mm-hmm. and half of them are that, and then the other half of them are what if it was The Witcher Three, but also Persona Five and also GTA, like all at once. That Just would be like, incredible. Yeah, it's like wow. What if it was every expensive video game ever made in one? Why you just wouldn't need a video game anymore? What if it was five hundred hours long? Yeah, I I bet that that game. This is this is my. I'm putting the envelope to my forehead. I'm using our Shriekcast prediction powers here. Mm, yeah, I think the Harry Potter launch, you know, presumably like launch window next gen video game, will be a completely serviceable seven to eight out of ten slightly open world rpg that is like assassin's creed origins it may maybe a little bit of witcher 3 in there but like obviously not as good because the writers are going to be different right like i'm i'm just i'm predicting it will be fine i think that that is the i think it is going to be like every open world game that came out last gen just with better graphics sure 
I just I like what else could it possibly be? It's a licensed it's a licensed open world game. It's there's no there's no path for that. I, I guess my like biggest question mark, because I agree with you that that's exactly what it's going to be. I, I am most interested in finding out how either hands-on or completely hands-off J.K. Rowling was. Yes, that is also going to be very interesting, just because there, there was that clip in the footage that everyone that pointed to to like go like maybe this is fake or that goblin just gets fucking yeeted yeah and like 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 impaled on a wall yeah and and they were like surely jk rowling will not sign off on this surely Um, she would not sign off on this scene that looks like it's from dragon age 2 (laughs) but I, i don't know I guess it depends on how feisty she's feeling uh, whenever they show it to her. Or, you know, who knows? Maybe, they, maybe they'll take that part out. I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, I'm very curious. Th- knowing now that J.K. Rowling is, in fact, a gamer, mm-hmm. I think she might be more easily swayed than we might have initially given her credit for. I think if the developers go to her, show her this game that has, like, pretty video gamey violence in it. Sure. And, and you know, maybe she recoils a little bit and says, this isn't like Peggle or something. They will, they will say, ah, but Joe, this is like The Witcher 3 plus Persona <laughs> plus GTA, the, the best-selling video games of all time. And she'll go, oh, okay. Like, I, think, I think that maybe she knows more about games than we, than we, than we thought, thought she did. Right. Maybe, maybe maybe she'll be like okay with it as long as the violence isn't against humans. Like the kind of like Halo, the Halo um, oh uh, yes. loophole where it's like oh well it's the blood is blue because they're you're shooting aliens and right. it's not yeah. red because you're not shooting people. Right. Yeah. 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 I, that I could see that. We know she hates the goblins. Yeah. So you never know. I'm gonna start posting my wish list of the game on the subreddit, and mine is oh. that uh, there better be a party, and I better have like my like funny house elf friend. Oh shit! We did see that was the other thing that people posted. They were like, "I see in one frame of this video, there's like a little maquette that looks like a, a house elf." That's right. And I'm like, "Fuck yes, give me the house elf companion." Yeah, I just want my my funny friend Do- Dobby, right. Dobby's great 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 grandfather. What if Gino, but a house elf? Exactly. Well, that's our very hefty heap of news for this week, but I think it's time for us to get into the real stuff. I think it's time for us to get into our chapter. What do you say? Yeah, we've gone super long, so I'm glad that we have maybe the shortest chapter of all time. Yeah, this is a very short chapter. It's not really short by page count. I mean, it's also short by page count, but there are several pages. It's just that one thing happens in it. Um uh, and without further ado, this is chapter three, the Dursleys departing. Um, we're, we're right back in it. Uh, Harry, for some reason, reminds us about the mirror that he thought Dumbledore was in, uh, just in case we didn't get that. Uh, from... In case you'd missed the last page. <laughs> in case you'd missed the last page. Um, he was he's still looking at that mirror and being like, oh, I thought I saw Dumbledore in there. Uh, and Vernon calls him from downstairs, uh, and Harry is is bemused and goes downstairs and um, sees the Dursleys, and they are all packed and look like they're traveling somewhere. Um, and, and, and Vernon says, I'm not going. And so Harry then has to explain it all again to them for the benefit of the reader, which is that the... The Dursleys have to leave um, with some members of the Order who will be 
uh, protecting them because once he turns 17, which I think is either later that night or the next day, all the protections over the Dursley's houses will fall and Voldemort will, sure, will surely come and torture and or kill and kill the Dursleys. Um, Vernon kind of uh, accuses Harry uh, of like maybe doing a plot to take their house. Um, he just kind of doesn't believe it or think something he doesn't want to leave um uh, but it has also been impressed upon him that he must uh, we find out at this point that arthur weasley and kingsley had shown up to explain the situation to the dursleys and that they were going to be put into wizard witness protection program basically um and and vernon kind of took a liking to kingsley and and has been upset ever since then that it can't be kingsley assigned to protect them um, because he keeps seeing them on t- him on TV, because uh, Kingsley is assigned to protect the Muggle Prime Minister. Um, Harry impresses upon them the urgency of the situation, gives us a little bit of background that all the, the, all the crazy stuff that's been happening, all the Muggles that have been killed on the news, that's all Voldemort. Uh, things are really going down, uh, and if they don't leave, there's going to be worse things in store for them, including Dementors, and Harry kind of points at Dudley and is like, Dudley will remember those. Um, and it's kind of at this point that Dudley's like, I want to go, I, we gotta, we gotta leave, uh, and Harry's like, oh, well, if Dudley's gonna go, then Vernon will too. Um, the... Uh, Hestia Jones and Daedalus Diggle show up, uh, and they're the ones that are assigned to the, Dur- the Dursleys. Um, and and Vernon doesn't really like these newcomers, but he does he does agree. Um, before they're about to go, Dudley kind of objects and says, "Like, why isn't Harry coming with us?" Um, we find out that there's another plan in place for Harry. The Dursley. It's time for the Dursleys to say goodbye. I assume this is the last time we ever see them. Uh, Vernon goes to shake Harry's hand, but can't quite bring himself to do it. Um, Dudley says goodbye and is apparently having kind of a change of heart about Harry. Um, uh, Harry says to Dudley kind of offhand, like, oh, you guys think I'm a waste of space. And Dudley says, I don't think you are. Um, Harry kind of puts it together that Dudley probably left the tea for him. He's, he's, he's learning, he's changing, he's growing, he's... Um, has has got a soft spot for Harry ever since uh, he saved his life and, and maybe he saw things from a different point of view. Um, Petunia gets all emotional. The Dudley is being so nice. Um, Harry Harry kind of says goodbye to Dudley and it's sort of a respectful moment. Uh, Harry says, take care, Big D. And Dudley leaves. Uh, Petunia gives Harry a last look, says goodbye looks a little conflicted or has some sort of feeling about it, uh, but she ends up turning and leaving with the rest of her family. That's the end of the chapter. I could have been a lot faster if I had said, Vernon called Harry down from downstairs and they left to go be in witness protection program and Dudley was nice. That was the end of the chapter because that's the chapter. (laughs) That is the chapter. That's the whole thing. I will say this. Yeah. I think this is the least bad chapter yet. Here we go. If if we just can see this kind of improvement chapter by chapter, we're gonna we're gonna be coasting. Mediocre in no time. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like uh, this was not revelatory or particularly interesting, but like goodness, what a breath of fresh air to ha- have some characters that I like interacting with each other. I love the Dursleys. Yeah, I really do, and I think that honestly, that is like the core issue i have with this chapter is that it feels like such a lame send-off for them Mm -hmm. 
there's bits I like about it. I mean, like there's there's I I, I think that like the best thing in here is is Dudley's like attempt at a like like being redeemed in Harry's eyes here. I think it's cute. I think it's a little sweet. Um, it's not nearly in depth enough. Um, but it's it's a it's a it's a good moment. But I think that like so many of the most frustrating chapters in this entire series, I think that that what looms over this chapter is like the ghost of what a good chapter it could have been. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I don't object to any of the actual events that are happening here. My biggest like overall objection is Harry's characterization completely yes. ruining any emotional moments that are happening. Yeah, it's really weird. This is this is such a like it it is so odd to think about where where Harry was in book 1 as an 11-year-old. Mhm. With the Dursleys versus where he is now with the Dursleys as a, I mean, he's 16, you know, going on 17 in this, in this chapter and how emblematic of the issues with the change in tone this series went through because the Dursleys, obviously we, you know, we've talked at length about how their characters just felt like they never really meshed with the new direction the series went in books four and especially five onwards. Right. Mm -hmm. But Harry also changing along with them and, and becoming a completely different character not, not just like a different character, but like a different kind of character. Right. Is so destructive to both Harry and the Dursleys, I think because Harry, like I think the, the, the joke that we always told in books like one, two, and three, whenever the Dursleys stuff was going on, was like, like yes, in abstract, the Dursleys are like horribly abusive and like, like you know, absolutely horrible people. But it, it the like the dark humor always worked because at the end of the day, like he's fine, Harry's fine, right? Like he, it kind of rolls off his back, and he he always has like a snarky comeback for them, and it just had this really delightful like dark fairy tale vibe to it. Yeah, and I think the thing that I wish that I had said when we, you know, because obviously when we first started doing this podcast, this was our very first episode of reading the Dursley chapters um and and it's uh and I guess like we were new to doing it, but the thing that I always wish that I could go back and say was more that it it isn't like it is immaterial what they do to him because the the point of the Dursley's abuse to Harry isn't to make it a story about how Harry was abused. It is to give Harry a payoff to going into the wizarding world, right? Yes. It, it like it yeah. is only to serve that being a contrast to his his miserable life. It's not about him having a miserable life, right? Yeah, it is. He is going from from living in like the cartoon, like the black and white cartoon, miserable cartoon, where like sad jazz plays to like going to like Candyland, right like he he is going from the most like hilarious miserable world possible to like the most whimsical you know literally magical world possible right like mm -hmm. it is it is not a story about child abuse right until it decides it is Right. Like, I mean, and I think that's the funniest thing about the Dursleys specifically in that, 
when you when you look back at the very first book and the way that the wizarding world was situated versus the muggle world the muggle world was this stand in for for misery and lack of creativity and people who uh, wanted to keep you down and were were conservative and there were that like political element right like the, mm-hmm. the Mr. Dursley working at the boring drill company like and all of that and it it firmly situated as the wizarding world as Candyland, and to try to then leave the dursleys into the story after it has kind of flipped that around as the muggle were like into this weird racism metaphor it sure (laughs) leaves the dursleys in a weird place yeah because they are still cartoons all the way through and and but but by acting like cartoons in a much more serious story like it strips away it i mean it's it's just like the the Voldemort as serial killer stuff right mm-hmm. like it, it 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 this this idea that like oh Voldemort is a like megalomaniacal mass murderer that's very bad yes in abstract uh-huh. <laughs> but but also he is a fun villain to read in the early books right and actually honestly even in this book right like we, we were talking about how he he sort of gotten some of his charisma back as a as a villain yeah similarly the dursleys in abstract are horrible people who should never have children near them right, right. but they were very fun characters as foils to the magical world and and like the absurd portrait of like conservative new money english people they were it was very fitting and it was very fun and like vernon dursley is such a an immediately arresting and fun (laughs) bad guy to hate right um it's a it's 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 a bummer where they where they sort of like get get left in the lurch here because like i think book four was like the real the turning point where we had the hardest time with this where it was like there was that whole scene where the where Arthur Weasley came in and like blew up their house and the twins like gave Dudley the like tongue candy and like want, want they wanted to make fun of him cuz he was cuz Harry had told them them he was fat and they mm-hmm. wanted to see how huge he was and it was just like this this is two storytelling worlds interacting that never should I think that scene has really stuck with me a lot just as a, 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 like, you're right. It's those two story worlds interacting and what, what the effect is supposed to be is so in conflict from what it is because, because obviously when you're in cartoon world with the cartoon Dursleys, of course you want Harry to come back and suddenly have the power and get to like make them scared of him for a second, right? That's like yeah. the the, car- the cartoon justice happening. But when it happens and and Fred and George show up to to threaten Dudley, it is so abjectly cruel and miserable yeah. to read. But, 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 and that, that's all partially like insane to think about, right? Because also the Dursleys are abjectly cruel, but also like all of their cruelty existed in a different world right where yeah it's almost like you want to like make them in your head turn into a version of them that would make sense in the world right you kind of edit out the stuff where it's like yeah petunia like yeets a frying pan at harry in book one 
which yeah. you, you don't do to an 11 year old right but it's like my head in <laughs> once this story had matured out of that cartoon world i kind of edit that out as being a a um like a fiction that probably doesn't need to stay canon in a way right but it's like it's a fucking it's a weird tunes. way to think about it right it's but it's it's like looney tunes but it, it would be like if elmer fudd like shot daffy duck but instead of like like just smoke getting all over his face his brains got fucking blown <laughs> out right it's just like yeah I, it, it's just it, it doesn't it doesn't work. Like, of course, it, 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 you know, Elmer Fudd shooting a sentient duck and then Bugs Bunny dropping an anvil on his head in response. Like, if that, I don't know, like, if those were real people, yeah, that would be pretty fucking bad, right? But it exists in Looney Tunes world where everything is just ratcheted up to this absurd degree. And the Dursleys existed in the same space where it was like, I accept how, like, bonkers cruel these people are because they're not real character i mean they're real characters but they're not like i'm not supposed to to read these as like three-dimensional real people right these are stand-ins these are these are a, a like allegory for the the cruelty of of upper middle class conservatives right like it's 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 not it's not real and then this this chapter um more than any other you know like the, as, a, as a culmination of all of the problems that this story has had with the dursleys and fitting the dursleys into this changing story framework is that it, it it does present them as like in kind of a too real situation and they can still only really behave like cartoons and it just doesn't have it's confused. It's awkward. It doesn't work. No, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's Daffy Duck going into witness protection program because he just saw <laughs> Bugs Bunny get blown up, right? It's, it's very weird. It's very strange. I, I was extra bummed about this because I thought about how much I like the first chapter of, of Sorcerer's Stone that is from Vernon's perspective. Yeah. And, like, what a great setup that is for the whole series. Um, because the thing the thing that I love about the Dursleys as, as characters, or, like, not even as characters, because they don't really get to do much, but what I love about them as a concept in this story is this idea that, you know, there are muggles who don't know what magic is. Mm -hmm. And there are wizards who understand what magic is and you know you insert whatever you think magic represents it's like happiness true creativity freedom etc etc like like they have they have you know they are free from the trappings of like boring uh, uh english culture right, right. Uh, uh they are they are no they, they they have rejected the stiff upper lip right like they're like i i will not be this this boring harmful english person the dursleys know magic is real and hate it yeah like that is such a fun thing to play with this idea that like vernon dursley knows that a better world exists and he not only does it exist like everyone from it is nice to him and would probably share things about it with him 
but he just fucking hates it. He thinks it's stupid and 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 weird and he he just doesn't want anything to do with it. And that is such a I mean like there are so many things you can spin that into a, a metaphor or an allegory for, right? Like it's it's very it's a rich idea and it just never really gets explored and it's especially a bummer that here in their last moment in this very like kind of unceremonious like sending out the clowns moment <laughs> we we don't get i would have loved for this last dursley appearance to be another like vernon pov chapter yeah that would have been excellent talk about ring theory huh ring theory it's all it's all a circle it all comes together yeah and, and i mean he's doing something that to me it is not very well established why he would ever do the idea that he would go and, and entrust these wizards to protect him and his family makes no sense to me. And I'm not even saying that it couldn't make sense or it couldn't be given a reason that he would, but I would love to see that from his perspective. And and it doesn't give you anything. I, I get to, it's rare that I get to a point in the series where I'm like, I wish we knew more. Um, yeah. But but this is is one of those because the way that this whole thing is framed, it's like the most boring part. Harry's already convinced them it was the thing to do. We just didn't get to see it. Arthur and Kingsley already showed up and explained the situation to them. We just didn't get to see it. So mm-hmm. I want to know what makes Vernon Dursley, who I love his like affectations during all of this, when, when Daedalus and Hestia show up, he is has contempt for them not knowing how to drive, which is so characterful for him (laughs) and him being like, why would I trust these people that don't know how to drive a car? Right. And, and I want to know why, why do you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and there's, I think there's a line I love near the beginning of this chapter. And it's like, it's like one of the best exchanges between Harry and Vernon where, Vernon says, like, I've changed my mind. And Harry is like, oh, what's a surprise? And then it drops it like, he, like every 24 hours, he Vernon has flip-flopped on whether or not he's going into magical witness protection. Mm-hmm. And like that's super funny, but I want I want more of that. I want to know why he is going back and forth on this. Like, 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 like I, I wish we were inside this character's head because here's the thing. I I think that the Dursleys are the most like damaged character concept in this series by the changes it went through. Mm-hmm. I, I think there, I think there's nothing else in the series that, that was that suffered more for the change in tone than, than the, the Dursley stuff. Cause it just got so confused. It, it, it didn't know whether it was trying to make you sympathetic for these horrible people because of like the change in stakes or whether you were supposed to, still laugh at them in a weirdly uncomfortable way like it, it just it just never found its footing with with this stuff but i think that the way that it could have redeemed itself if you wanted to have a moment where you kind of thought differently about the dursleys or got maybe a slightly more three-dimensional picture of them is this moment um the last moment they appear right like like if if there was ever a time, now's the time for us to like get inside the head of the Dursleys. Is like you know why are why are they like this? Why do they hate fun? Why do they hate Harry? Right? Like 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 this is this is the time to explore that stuff, and it just isn't. The 
the closest we get is the Dudley stuff, which like is nice, but it, it's just not enough. No, and I would love to know more about Petunia because, again, I think this is also her big moment. And and like you said, like talking about Vernon as this character that knows a better world exists and hates it um, and probably could have some access to it. Um, he went and married a woman who I think we know doesn't like the magic world because she can't be part of it and she's jealous. Right. Like, what a great couple of people. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, like, and to have spent their life instilling in their son to hate this magical world that he by necessity has to know exists, even though I'm sure they wish that he didn't. Yeah. And then to have Dudley say, you know, no, I I think you're wrong, mom and dad. That's like an interesting moment. But instead it splits the difference on either doing <laughs> that or being a cartoon and does neither. <laughs> yeah, it's so... It's so close, yet so far with the, with them. Um, the Dudley moment itself, too, is like, I, I really like all the pieces of it. The, the reveal that the cup of tea outside of Harry's door was like Dudley's attempt at being nice is so funny to me. And, and Dudley's attempt to say something like meaningful or you know or apologetic to harry and it just coming out in like this really stupid like like uh uh retort right like his 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 best his best the best that he can offer harry is a retort right like yeah i don't think you're a waste of space thing like it's it is it's a nice thing to say for dudley but it is still like arguing with him right like it is it is sweet, and I think that it is a very hopeful moment, especially if we are to read the Dursleys as now, you know, characters in a more realistic world, right? Of, like, this idea that, like, you don't have to be like your parents mm-hmm. in this situation, and, and, you, and you can, you know, D- Dudley, like, like, change is possible for characters and, and, and people who are, you know... Uh, horrible at one point, right? Because like at the end of the day, like Dudley's a kid, right? Like he sucks ass in in all those these books, but like he's just a child whose parents are awful, right? And like him him having this like moment of self actualization is really potentially very meaningful. What makes me pissed off about it <laughs> is that there is such a perfect parallel or a perfect like 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 um, intersection here between Dudley and Malfoy that I just don't think ever manifests. Yeah. Like, we we talked at length about how weird the unceremonious, like, Malfoy redemption thing was at the end of book six in the funeral, where mm-hmm. Harry's just like, well, damn. Maybe he <laughs> I, wouldn't I, I, have done it. Maybe he wouldn't have done it. And, like, this moment here not only is, like, you know, an opportunity for mixed feelings from Harry, who obviously has, like, suffered the brunt of Dudley's, like, shittiness for his whole life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to, to, to like, uh, uh, question whether he has the grace to forgive him or whatever. It's weird that he has this moment now, after randomly deciding, without Malfoy even being there, <laughs> that, he, that he has achieved, like, this Christ-like sense of forgiveness for Malfoy. <laughs> 
and 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 is now awkwardly facing Dudley with a similar thing. Who Dudley, you know, shitty person, shitty, annoying, bad, bratty child, but like not a neo-Nazi, right? Like the like like Dudley's just kind of a schoolyard bully. Yeah, he didn't really try to kill anyone. He didn't get in with the Nazis, like. Yeah, he's just like he's a spoiled he's brat. Like, I wanted more um, presents for my birthday. <laughs> I wanted more presents. I slapped some kids in the schoolyard, right? Like it's still sucky, but like he's not—he's not like on Malfoy's level of sin, uh, you know. If we, if we want to measure things that way, um, and it's a bummer, right? Because like either there are so many ways you could you could use this this moment as a as a point of uh, uh, introspection for Harry. It's like you know, is this? Does he refuse? to forgive Dudley because he also refuses to give forgive Malfoy? Does he weigh the difference between Dudley and Malfoy? Does he see parallels between Dudley and Malfoy? There is so much rich content there that I think is just unexplored because Malfoy is Sir... Sir does not appear in this novel, if, from what I remember. Uh, like, just not, not a going concern anymore. Right. I think this also could be a moment... Um, especially after Harry has been reflecting on Dumbledore. And, and I think that what the, the novel is trying to tell us is that, or even I, I think was the thesis of the Elphias Doge um, our article was that like Dumbledore lived his life seeing the best in everyone. And the idea that anyone had that spark of potential for good in them. And yeah. then Harry is immediately seeing that being displayed in Dudley, who by all rights was was raised to be a rotten to the core monster, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and here's Dudley like taking taking a, a moment to overcome that. Yeah, yeah. There, there, Like it is my favorite moment in this chapter. I think, despite it being ultimately kind of a wasted opportunity. It, it's such right? a one sided moment because, like again, like I said, I like everything that happens, but what I can't stand is Harry being one completely unaffected by it all beyond being like cool guy bemused and otherwise being like i don't know like like tony stark teen i can't stand him here (laughs) yeah that i think that is the most damning thing in this chapter is like like harry has had such a weird progression in this series uh book you know book one through three with the dursleys he he always had a witty retort. He was all, he always had a snappy comeback, and and like it just wasn't it just wasn't a big deal to him in the in the story, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it sucked, but it, he wasn't like down in the dumps really over it. And then in books four and five and six or whatever, he got very emotional and became like a very realistic teenager for the most part, um, and and like you know started inwardly reflecting on like you know you know what what he is suffering at the hands of the dursleys like what what is the the more real abuse angle that he is living through and like that was kind of clumsily bolted on here he is neither of those things though he is he is neither realistic disaffected teen or like funny child here he's just a fucking dick like he's just annoying in this chapter Mm -hmm. he has he has no feelings like even though he is like ultimately he is like arguing for the safety of the dursleys here he's he's being so condescending and 
his in like the the brief snippets of like internal like like monologue we get are very like I mean like you say like it's very Tony Stark like he he's just like this arrogant prick who is like looking down on all the people around him and like I'm not saying he shouldn't look down on the Dursleys right but but like it needs to come with a little bit more emotional weight to it right because he the reasons that he would have to look down on these people if we are to go with the like realistic teen angle would probably result in something different than like this wisecracking dickhead right yeah yeah i mean he's he's just at best like slightly exasperated and and is playing the part of like superman who has to like deal with these annoying people for their own good but he's just kind of above it and i don't know why <laughs> yeah like uh, he literally like walks down the stairs with his hands in his pockets and then is like uh you know uh what a surprise when vernon tells him that he's changed his mind it's like that's a fun exchange outside of the dialogue right like i like that vernon's changed his mind and that harry's had to deal with this but like this like what what a surprise thing with him like is just he's He's the, like a cowabunga dude kid now. It's so weird. I, I hate the middle ground that it that it goes for, where it's like, yeah, he has to protect these people. It's for their own good. They're not going to, um, like, thank him for it. But he's not resentful, and he's not upset, and he doesn't have any kind of sentimentality toward them or living there or wants to reflect on how they've treated him. But he also cares enough, but it's just so distant. I the exchange where Vernon has like come up with this idea that he's after the house, which is a really Hilarious. funny idea. I love yeah, I like love a, Vernon in that. Yeah, it's a super funny moment. Like this thing that like Vernon reaching for any excuse to criticize Harry, yeah, which like I would like Harry to react to. Right, like I'm not saying that the Ver that the Dursleys are in the right in this situation, but like the proportionate response that I want from Harry is much different from what we get. Where so, so so Vernon says, uh, 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 you know that Harry Harry just wants the house. Harry says, "Are you out of your mind?" demanded Harry. "A plot to get this house? Are you actually as stupid as you look? Don't you dare!" squealed Aunt Petunia. But again, Vernon waved her down. Slights in his personal appearance were, it seemed, as nothing to the danger he had just spotted. "Just in case you've forgotten," said Harry. "I've already got a house. My godfather left me one. So why would I want this one? All the happy memories." There was silence. Harry thought he had rather impressed his uncle with this argument. Really? Because why would Vernon not see the benefit of having two houses? Two houses? This makes no sense to me. <laughs> but just that fucking line, like, oh, Harry thought he had rather impressed. I fucking owned Uncle Vernon with that one. What a fucking dweeb. I got his ass. It just really bothers me because it's like all of his, like, cool lines don't make sense. And, like, Vernon would never be got by that. What's better than yeah. having one house? Two. Like, that, yeah. that's how Vernon would think. <laughs> literally doubling the amount of real estate you own yeah like that like that is exactly like vernon's language right like that that is the way yeah. his head would work <laughs> yeah it, it is it, it, it's 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 totally not the comeback harry thinks it is and like that would be funny if that was how that progressed right if 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 uh, vernon then responded like 
Yeah, you'd have, two, have houses. two houses. And this you and know, this like, really good one where all the house prices are high and you're in the suburbs instead of that stinky old house you've got in the city. Like, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, but but instead, Harry has won the debate. He has owned his uncle, then that's that. And it's like, Harry always had funny comebacks for the Dursleys in the old books. They're I'm usually not like saying... wordplay, though, not... Yeah! <laughs> yeah, like, they were... They were they were wait and and I think I think the difference is it's like all the old books, Harry's like comebacks and stuff, they were they were like unbothered, mm-hmm. right? Like like the the humor came from the fact that like the Dursleys were just being abjectly cruel to him and he was just like whatever. Like you know, like like he just he just always had a a like joke to tell about it. Yeah. Here he's just like disaffected, mm-hmm. which isn't really funny. It's just kind of sad, and and like that could be an interesting angle to take. But we are definitely supposed to read this as funny, right? Like like this is Harry and his element, and it's just kind of not that. I do like that uh, Vernon again. Like I think that it. I, I can't believe how characterful this conversation is for Vernon. Like what? Like the fact that that is his that's what he can think of, right? Like, that's so sad for him that, like, the most creative, magical thing that he can think of that Harry could pull one over on him is, like, taking the deed to the house and using yeah. magic to forge his name on it. I yeah, love like that. that. Yeah, like, that's super funny. The the um, the um idea that, like, the, the, the bizarre, arbitrary condition that he had imposed on this idea of going into, like, wizard witness protection is like, oh, I want the secret, ser- I want the, the head of the, like, wizard secret service to do it <laughs> to like Like, I want that guy. Like, that is super funny. Like, like, I will not leave this house unless SEAL Team 6 is here to, <laughs> to collect me. Like, that's really funny. It's a really great, like... Like you say, like it's so characterful, characterful for Vernon, but Harry is just this brick wall that like doesn't let the characterization breathe. I guess. Yeah, and I think it really like like you said when they talk about the house, they could you could have taken it further and really just shown the the difference between these two characters, right? Like like the mm-hmm. idea that they are just fundamentally different people, um, mm-hmm. and that's fun. I don't know. It's just like yeah. it, it won't even let this be fun. I think in in a, in a in a book series this long, right? Like one of the things I think all readers are looking for and like all readers enjoy is seeing how a character changes. Mm-hmm. But I think also a, a really valuable thing in storytelling that is very interesting is seeing when characters don't change mm-hmm. or can't change. Yeah. Right? Like, like that is, that is like the core of why I like, like mad men so much, right? Like a story about a guy who just fundamentally, no matter what, at the end of the day, just could not change. Yeah. Uh, and Vernon is such a potent vehicle for that kind of thing, right? Like this guy who hated magic when he found out what it was, hated it when, Harry showed up at his doorstep, hated it for seven years as this kid, you know, grew up there. And now as they arrive to like save his life and take him to a like, uh, you know, a, a better world that is in danger. But they are, you know, they are taking time out of out of their like 
endangered lives to help him still can't get over it and still hates it, right? Like, he just, he just cannot, he cannot change. He will not change. And, like, that's funny and sad and, like, bittersweet. Mm-hmm. And, and I wish that the interplay between him and Harry, and, like, you know, and, and I wish that Petunia got more, more, uh, uh, like, time to do this as well. Because, like you said, like like she's she has like different reasons for hating the the wizarding world, but like also doesn't and can't change, right? And like that is so that is such rich ground for characterization. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it's a very the very end here. I think could be at a pretty powerful moment if Harry was able to feel or express anything, which <laughs> is when Petunia, you know, says goodbye to him. We have seen some like seeds of, of something in her when she talks to Dumbledore and all this stuff and, and find out more about her past and her jealousy about the, the wizarding world. But at the end of the day, she is going to turn her back on Harry and leave with her family. And she's going to yeah. be Petunia Dursley forever. Um yeah. Like wow, that's really cool, and and to and but then also that you know that seed of hope is planted with Dudley, um, but but yeah, Harry just just really really kneecaps this whole this whole scene. <laughs> I think at the end of the day, Harry is a character that has worn many masks, uh, some of them interesting and some of them not. But I think it is safe to say that the absolute worst one that he wears and i think the one that he probably wears for most of the last book unfortunately is just the the hyper masculine action hero guy it just it's not interesting it doesn't fit him it's not a particularly well written one of those like it just on all fronts it is it is a persona that does not fit him and is not interesting and actively damages all of the other characters around him that have to interact with it. Yeah, I mean, I can see why you would do it, right? Like, Harry is such a self-insert character, so in the same way that I mean, Tony Stark is appealing, it's it's like a power fantasy, I guess. Like, yeah, it would be cool to be Tony Stark or whatever. Um, yeah. And But I just don't think it works here. Well, I, but I think part of the big, the biggest issue with it, right, is it's like, you know, I'm not a huge Marvel movie fan, right? But, like, see why people like Tony Stark, right? Because he always has something funny to say. You, but you have to have something funny to say, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, like Tony Stark is a, is a, is also, a, like, you know, like Harry in, the, in this chapter, a, like, disaffected, condescending asshole. Mm-hmm. But he's a funny condescending uh, uh disaffected asshole played by an actor who like knows how to make that charming right like that yeah, is and i assume those I don't, I don't i don't know marvel at all but i assume they kind of explore that in being like oh well he's walled off from everyone or he doesn't let anyone see his yeah, true self try. or like that's deep down in there somewhere I'm not saying they do it well but i'm sure that that's they do it more they play than this with. book will is what i will say right like I, like, gu- yeah. I guess my my impression reading Harry like this is he is trying to be that archetype, but I'm just not convinced there is anything else going on. <laughs> well, it, it it doesn't work because we uh, we know what's going on in his head because we're we reading know, it. Yeah, we know what's going on in his head, and also we know that there have been more interesting things going on in his head before. Mm-hmm. Like, God what a great character you could build out of all the things Harry has been. Right. right? 
take if you took like book five Harry's angst and mixed it with like book one Harry's wit. That's that's a character right there, right? Yeah. Like there I mean like again like not not a like original or you know that's not a revolutionary idea the idea that a character can be like funny on the outside and sad on the inside, right? Like that's most leading men these days, I suppose, right? But like that's a character that you know like 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 oh, he's he's trouble on the inside, but like he's always he, he always pull something funny together to say to everyone else like he's he's you know he's faking it till he makes it that's something that's more than what we get here um i can't believe that i'm like championing that idea is like damn what if harry was was one of those but like it's, it's something it's better than nothing yeah yeah i mean i think the thing the funny thing about harry potter is that it's so popular and so famous and is oftentimes thought of as like this champion of creativity and something that we've never seen before but in reality like i don't think we're asking for anything revolutionary about out of harry potter because there's literally <laughs> right, yeah. nothing revolutionary about it yeah it executes it well on on already established ideas well and then also executes very poorly on them later yeah uh, uh, stories don't have to be anywhere close to revolutionary to be good right mm -hmm. i i we are not asking for much here when we criticize the way harry is is portrayed as a main character i would i would settle for funny but sad every man right like like you know that there are billions of those stories at this point right like and and they you know they all bear their own criticisms worth you know worth having leveled at them but like they're coherent. They are uh, uh, realized characters and and archetypes. And Harry, instead of like picking one and being that archetype or you know, or growing as a character throughout the series, just flits between different, completely different ideas. Like yeah, one moment he is a blank slate. The other moment he is a he is. A funny jokester. The other moment he is a brooding, you know, angsty teen. The other moment he's Rambo. It's just here he's like Tyler Durden. It's just like, it's just like <laughs> you, you can't ever pin him down, and 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 not in a like, wow, what a complex character way, and just a like, I literally don't know what Harry I get this week kind of way. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I end up defaulting to Daniel Radcliffe Harry. Uh, who's so good who's, i think I, there's that deleted God. scene of him saying goodbye to dudley that i don't think made it into the original movie and that's honestly what i was kind of expecting out of this scene because i think it's really sweet um but yeah this harry is so not daniel radcliffe harry that it's hard to go back to that god bless daniel radcliffe honestly serious like what a like for one, just like the immense pressure, like not to, not to, to divulge or diverge too much into movie talk, but like the, the fucking pressure on all of those kids being cast to like play, you know, spend their like childhoods playing on for millions and millions and millions of people to see. But like he really captured something about Harry, uh, or or not even not even that he cap. It's probably more that he just like managed to invent something and stick with it right like 
He put such a good veneer of making Harry just a good guy, you know, charming and nice. Like, you're like, that is a charming, nice boy. <laughs> he's funny, but like, not, not too, like, he's, he's, he, he's mean, but not too mean. He's just like, he just is a, f- a fun, a fun teen. And, and like, he's, he's having a good time. And like, the, that was the other thing too, is that like, Harry in the movies, except for the parts where the script demands that it follow the book to the letter, he is so much more interested and invested in the magical world in the movies than he is in the books. Mm-hmm. Um, he he is just a much more interesting person there. That that is one of, also one of the funniest things I think in this chapter is the scene where he's arguing with Vernon and like in the middle of a shouting match. I guess in case the audience reading oh, it was it. starting was starting on book seven, there's like an M dash aside where he's like listing off all the dangerous things. Like there's the Death Eaters and there's Voldemort, and then there there could be in Fury, and then like M dash. Those are magical undead raised and controlled by the Death Eaters. <laughs> How did that get through editing? You can't so put that funny. in dialogue. You are not having a screaming match with someone and then being like, and the zombies are going to fucking kill you. By the way, those are dead bodies that have come out of the ground and, and their, <laughs> their bites are contagious yeah. and will also turn you into a zombie. Like, that's not how fights work. It's so weird. And it just makes Harry seem so disinterested in everything going on. Like, like his his greatest concern is not like like imparting on Vernon like you know there are hor- untold horrors could await you from my world. It's like I gotta explain to you what a zombie is. <laughs> Just say zombie, Harry. It's so funny because it feels like J.K. Rowling in writing this was so invested on in not calling them zombies because that's lame. But then <laughs> yeah, also wrote it- zombies into the book. Yeah, it's. Uh... It's it's very silly. This is such a this is a chapter that had so much potential, and and I think it squanders a lot of it. I think it's the best chapter in this book so far, but that's not the compliment. It sounds like you know. You know, part drives me crazy. Hmm. The part where um, Doodleus Diggle and Hestia arrive, and Harry like acts like he's the lieutenant of the order, and is like, "Ah, oh, Hestia and Doodleus, you're here." What? Mm-hmm. Do we know these people? So, Daedalus we do know because he, and like, again, this is what drives me fucking crazy because this should have been a, a Vernon POV chapter. Daedalus Diggle is the wizard in purple that Vernon saw driving home from work. In like the first chapter? Yeah. And then Harry met in the th- uh, the Leaky Cauldron a few chapters later. Yeah, I mean, I know the names, right? Yeah, but yeah. why is Harry on a first name basis with them? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's so funny. But like, I I, I, was, I was losing it because I was like, shouldn't this be a Vernon chapter where he's like, wait a minute, I recognize this this purple guy. Like, wait, like that that should, ah, oh, it should be there. We should see that moment with him. I think that if this, isn't going to be a Vernon chapter, and if it's not going to commit to this being a genuine emotional moment for Harry, I would have mm. rather just seen a cartoon scene of Kingsley and Arthur Weasley showing up and explaining to the Dursleys what's going on instead of hearing oh, about please. it secondhand. 
please, yeah, yeah. That, that, those would at least be characters we understand and know, right? Like, I mean, that's still like, kind of boring. Like, I still think that's kind of a boring way out, but I don't know how we ended up here yeah, with this scene. Yeah. No, I, 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 I get you, absolutely. It's, uh, it's like I said, wasted opportunity. Because and even a, Harry a, is like, oh yeah, the Dursleys probably weren't too happy to see Arthur Weasley uh, when Arthur Weasley in the past came and explained um, yeah. explained the, the whole situation because they blew up the fireplace that one time. But it's like we didn't even get to see them not being happy that Arthur Weasley was showing up in their <laughs> right. house. And we didn't get to see them thinking Kingsley was cool and should be the one in charge of their protection or whatever. Yeah, once know. again... Once again, characters describing a scene that sounds like it would be really funny. Also, you can have two scenes in one chapter in a novel. So maybe you could maybe have both. But what do I know? <laughs> well, God, this is okay. This is the last thing I will say about this chapter. Because sure. I'm I, I keep on saying, damn, this is going to be a short chapter. And then and then we just we, we unravel these things like sweaters because there is actually so much going on here. But I will say this. You could have turned last chapter and this chapter into a much more effective one chapter. Yeah. Like, just have Harry read, fuck the, fuck the Elphias Doge one, save it for later, or just don't do it at all. Boring, stupid. Have him read the Rita Skeeter interview, because at least she's funny and a character we know. Uh, have him get pissed off. Have him storm downstairs and say, who put this fucking teacup you know, outside my door. What is this uh-huh, prank? Very f- yeah, who did th- who did this fucking prank? I know it's you, Dudley. Fuck you. And then have Dudley stew on that for a bit, and then reveal it was him. Be like, I was just trying to be nice, and have them have an actual moment of like heart to heart, and like you know, so many directions you could take that. Was this Harry- does Harry forgive him and make Dudley feel worse? Does he accept it? Blah blah blah. Does he link it to Malfoy? Then have I, I don't know. Have uh, have have Arthur and Kingsley show up and explain to Vernon that it, uh, you're in danger. and We got to take you away right now. Like it's got to right happen now. right now. And he's like, "Fuck you guys! You blew up my house last time you were here. This is outrageous. I can't believe it." And then a wacky hijinks ensue. There you go. There's the chapter. Yeah, I like it. It's uh, it's it's this book is weird. I think that that is going to be like my my thing every week. But it's like, boy, this book is fucking weird. Yeah, it's just I can't figure out how it ended up like this. Honestly, yeah, um, yeah. I, here's my final thing for the chapter for real this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, did Dudley have a glow up? Is that what I'm supposed to be getting from this chapter? Because before every other book, he's always been described as like. The fucking kids that got turned into blueberries in Willy Wonka. And now he's like wearing a leather jacket and is described as muscular. Is he like a CW lead now? Uh, yeah. So I remember in book five, he had taken up boxing, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. But I think that he was still like, I think it still described him as like very awkward looking. Like he had like big muscles, but like was still like, like kind of a dumpy kid. Sure. Yeah. It's once again... This feels like Harry noted, like you know, because of who who is writing the book. Uh, Harry is like noticing uh, uh, men his age yeah. being handsome now, and Harry, Harry going like, oh, "Dudley, I hate you, but you look, you just look so fucking fresh right now." You've just been doing the crawls for the girls a lot lately, Dudley. Your drip, it's oozing, my man. Right. You look so good in that leather jacket. Is that supreme? <laughs> 
Are you into uh, Dudley? Did you get that off of Grail? Is that is that a Belling Belling He's he's only ever Whatever. read it. Yeah, me also. I've also only read it. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get one of those? Did you? Is it Gucci? There you go. Mm-hmm. What's? Wait a minute. I know. What, hold on. I'm remembering. I'm breaching deep into. I'm de- reaching deep into my reference hole here mm-hmm. because this this here we go this is this is a, this is a twofer because it's both of it's both a song reference and a reference to jk rowling because this is the song that she wrote the like the strike playlist where she got oh, with the, which which rapper said the verse wrong she said yeah like oh. harry, harry harry comes downstairs and he sees dudley and his in his fly fly new duds uh-huh and he says, "What's that jacket, Margella?" Because <laughs> that's the song, mm-hmm. and also J.K. Rowling knows this. Okay, right. I'll see myself out. See you, Big D. See you, Big D. Ooh, boy, <laughs> what a fucking phrase to end on. <laughs> Excuse me. Take care, Big D. Take care, Big D. That's that's like <laughs> <laughs> that's the instruction manual you get with a bad dragon order. Take care, Big D. Take take care, comma, big D. That's right. <laughs> Fuck. Well, oh, is there a most highlighted phrase in this one? For no, you? I think everyone must have skipped this one. Okay, trying to get to, trying I, to get to the good stuff. I have one. I have one piece of uh, one piece of enhanced content oh. to, to, to tell you about. No illustrations, no animations, but I did get an annotation in this chapter. Oh. It was very exciting. There was a little button after the sentence, Kingsley had mastered the knack of dressing like a muggle. <laughs> okay. And you click it, you tap it on your phone, yeah. and it says, takes you to a little paragraph that says, The International Statute of Secrecy laid down clear guidelines on dress for witches and wizards when they are out in public. When mingling with muggles, wizards and witches will adopt an entirely different muggle standard of dress, which will conform as closely as possible to the fashion of the day. Clothing must be appropriate to the climate, the geographical region, and the occasion. Nothing self-altering or adjusting is to be worn in front of muggles. So in case you've made it all the way to book seven without noticing the part where all of the, the wizards dress like muggles or try to when they're around muggles there you go a helpful little annotation okay this is destroying me because when i think of annotation in a book i think of it like you know you're reading shakespeare or something and there's just a word that you just don't know and so there's an annotation that's like or a phrase or something and the annotation is like oh well you know in this year this meant this and this is why you know usually it's like nonfiction. Right? <laughs> to help you understand it. So I was very curious what the annotations could be in Harry Potter, because Harry Potter is very easy to read and there's nothing yeah. that you really need help on. Yeah. And so I assumed it was going to be like behind the scenes stuff. Nope. But it's just stuff from Pottermore? Yeah, it's just lore. It's just more lore? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Can you do that? <laughs> oh, God. That's the next yeah, best I- thing to like releasing another edition you know like maybe you wanted to add more and so if you're normal you would just release a new edition of the book but no <laughs> like you annotate it like it's nonfiction. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, I got a kick out of that. I was like, I went because when I saw the button, I was like, what could this possibly be? And I was not ready for it to just be like a wiki entry. Mm, I hate that. Well, bad. I'm glad I paid an extra three bucks. I want to know what the other ones are. Like, is there an annotation in Chamber of Secrets in the Enhanced Edition that like talks about the toilet thing? Oh God, maybe because if it's have if to... it's all extended universe lore stuff, wouldn't. Maybe I'll have to legally purchase all of the rest of the enhanced editions. Is there one see. that's like annotated press from McGonagall and then you go into the annotation, it's just like her whole backstory? <laughs> you, Professor McGonagall, it's like, yeah, the fir- first chapter of of book one, or second, I guess it would be second chapter, where, where it says like, oh, this cat turned into a lady. And then you click it and it says, Professor McGonagall married Dougal, uh, and then Dougal died. And and now she hasn't remarried. She did remarry, but then he died too. That's true. Oh yeah, he got he got killed by a plant. Yeah. Yeah. All I, right. I, I don't know. Well, we should take a quick break, but when we come back, we are going to get more lore straight from the mouth of J.K. Rowling herself as we get to part two of that classic interview we started last week. Wonderful. everyone and welcome back we are continuing our little reading series of that big leaky cauldron and muggle net interview of jk rowling from right after half blood prince this week um last week if you recall uh we got some very funny answers from jk rowling about character writing and and dumbledore stuff it was it's very it's an interesting time capsule i think um and Especially an interesting one to visit now in the wake of, like, setting all the other bullshit about J.K. Rowling aside, you know, her her reputation these days as someone who won't stop fiddling with canon and commenting on, like, her writing process and, and whatnot. It, it's fun to go back and look at what she was like as these books were coming out, I think. Yeah, and a time when fans were mostly just ravenous for any scrap they could yeah. get out of interviews like this. Yeah, I feel there's an element of, like, we didn't know how good we had it at this point, I guess, right? Like, like, uh, um, she's very, she's almost too candid, I would say, in these about, about the the writing. It's very, it's very funny the way she answers. It does give me a little bit of distant sympathy, all all things kind of on, on their own, where it's like, there was a time where it was just like, like, fan sites like this would give anything to be able to do these interviews and get these these questions answered that are very similar to the like what what does snape have for breakfast type questions <laughs> and to have people eat them up and have uh, presumably from jk rowling's perspective her very limited perspective of being like oh this is what people like and then at some point uh, along the way be like oh they hate it now yeah yeah no it's it's fascinating I think we are going to continue our, like, popcorn reading thing here, mm-hmm. um, trading off questions and, and discussing them in between. Would you like to start with the first question here? By the way, we uh, are probably not going to get through all of this. is a long chunk of interview we have here in part two. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we will we will see how far we get with it. For sure. Um, so we start off, Emerson Spartz asks, 
asks, when Sirius was framed for the death of Pettigrew and the Muggles, did he actually laugh or was that something made up to make him look even more insane? J.K. Rowling responds, did he actually laugh? Yes, I would say he did. Well, he did because I've created him. <laughs> Hilarious. Uh, Sirius, to me, he's kind of on the edge. Do you not get that feeling from Sirius? He's a little bit of a loose cannon. I really like him as a character, and a lot of people really liked him as a character and are still asking me when he's going to come back. There's some laughter. But Sirius had his flaws. I've sort of discussed that before, some quite glaring flaws. I see Sirius as someone who was a case of arrested development. I think you see that from his relationship with Harry and Phoenix. He kind of wants a mate from Harry, and what Harry craves is a father. Um, Harry's kind of outgrowing that now. Sirius wasn't equipped to give him that. The laughter. He was absolutely unhinged by James's death. Harry and Sirius were very similar in the way that both of them were craving family connections with friends. So Sirius with James wanted a brother, and Harry has nominated Ron and Hermione as his family. This is the thing I found interesting. It might have been on MuggleNet's comments. This is might have been on MuggleNet's comments. This is a while back when I was actually looking for fan sites of the month or whatever arbitrary time period I do. <laughs> it was around the time I was reading comments for the first time, and there was something in there where kids were saying, I don't understand why he's shouting at Ron and Hermione. I mean, I'd shout at my parents. I would never shout at my best friends. But he has no one else to shout at. That was interesting from young kids because I just don't think they could make that leap of imagination. He's very alone. Anyway, I've wandered miles away from Sirius. He was unhinged. Yes. Yes, he laughed. He knew what he'd lost. It was a humorless laugh. Pettigrew, who they, in a slightly patronizing way, James and Sirius at least, who they allowed to hang around with them, it turned out that he was a better wizard than they knew. Turned out he was better at hiding secrets than they knew. It, wait, but, but the deal was that he didn't keep the secret. But that's better the, at that's... doing betrayal than they thought. <laughs> this is such a fascinating answer. I was... I am so on board with and 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 I you know just just not in a way at like the first paragraph here mm -hmm. up until the last sentence the uh Harry what Harry craves is a father Harry's kind of outgrowing that now when I th I think we established that maybe one of the the core weirdest things about this series through book six and seven is that Harry is just like ravenous for a father figure yeah i i really like this insight about sirius's character here um because yeah. it also kind of reflected my experience reading sirius's character as an adult and also i think that she's right about this that um well she's right in a weird way because she applies this idea of kids not being able to make a quote leap of imagination but more mm. about harry's kind of relationship with Sirius, whereas I think it's more that it's hard to make the leap as a child to seeing that Sirius isn't actually cool. That was all right. I talked about that at length in but when we mm -hmm. read book three where I was like, oh that's that's really cool that he he isn't he's not a good role model, right? He is no, a little yeah. unhinged. He's he does have this little bit of arrested development. And um, a little sad. Like, 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 yeah. like my, my overwhelming feeling with Sirius is not like, damn, what a cool badass. It's like, oh, what a sad, what sad, a sad guy. dog brain that he's got. <laughs> That's right. Um, but, but this thing, I, I, I wish I could read the original comment that she's talking about where a yeah. kid is saying, I wouldn't shout at my friends. And then to say, and then for JK Rowling to say that he's like, 
transplanting his shouting at his parents onto his friends is a read that I've never had about yeah. Harry. That is fascinating yeah. to me. It's it's definitely fascinating. And, and I don't even want to say it's like wrong, right? It's just I've never, I've, you know, we've we've both identified so many like surrogate parent figures for Harry in this story about, you know, being an orphan. Um, I, and it, it's never, I, it's just never crossed my mind to think of like Harry and, and, or, uh, Hermione and Ron really that way. Hermione often herself feels like she is like wedged into being like the mom of the group, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel that whenever that's popped up, it's never really felt like it was like on Harry's impetus. Right. It was just, it's just like, well, cause she's the girl character. I mean, it's kind of interesting to think like, well, nor quote-unquote normal teens shout at their parents or whatever but harry in being abandoned by all his parental figures wouldn't shout at his surrogate parents <laughs> for fear of like scaring them away or being rejected yeah. by them or whatever but but the leap that is funny to me is this idea that like oh well you gotta shout at someone <laughs> you've got that energy's gotta go somewhere <laughs> you've gotta you've gotta scream at somebody I mean, but and he does end up screaming what zombies at Dumbledore. I, w- I wish he screamed at Dumbledore more. Yeah. I, 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 the... I think this is an interesting thread. And I don't I don't necessarily like say like, oh, she's wrong. But I would no, never. No, think, no, no, no. I would never think of Harry's fights with Hermione and Ron as a displaced uh, being angry at parents vibe. Because yeah. that's the thing. I think kids do shout at each other all the time. So I'm a little all bit like, damn, I don't I don't know about time. that first comment of like, oh, I wouldn't shout at my friends. I'm sure, yeah. I mean, a lot of people don't shout at their friends, but it's definitely not something that doesn't happen. Yeah. No, absolutely. I, 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 I this is, I like like you say, I, I don't think this is a wrong answer. I, I don't think it, there can be a wrong answer here, but like it is, that is a very interesting detail because I'm like, oh, I'd never really... I'd never thought of Ron and Hermione in that, from that perspective. The serious stuff just kills me because I'm just, you know, for all the talk that books six and seven are so mature, they the books grow up with you. I still think book three is the most quote unquote mature and complex Absolutely. book of yeah. all of the Harry Potters. Oh, um, like emotionally, no yeah. contest. Yeah, like like the range of of emotions explored in that book and like the depth that all of those characters have and like how like multifaceted i mean like like you say like serious like he really is a character that you read one way as, as a teen in harry's position and then you know on, on revisits it's it's like a, a new book in a lot of ways it's fascinating yeah yeah should we move on to the next question yeah we'll never get through this otherwise <laughs> melissa anelli asks you said that during the writing of book six, something caused you fiendish glee. Do you remember what that was? J.K. Rowling. Oh, God. Long silence, as Joe thinks. <laughs> what was it? It wasn't really vindictive. Uh, that was more of a figure of speech. I know what I've enjoyed writing. You know Luna's commentary during the Quidditch match? Laughter. It was that. I really enjoyed doing that. Actually, I really enjoyed doing that. 
you know, that was the last Quidditch match. I knew as I wrote it that that was the last time I was going to do a Quidditch match. To be honest with you, Quidditch matches have been the bane of my life in the Harry Potter books. <laughs> they are so necessary in that people expect Harry to play Quidditch, but there's a limit to how many ways you can have them play Quidditch together and for something new to happen. And then I had this big moment of blinding inspiration. I thought Luna's going to commentate, and that was such a gift. It's the kind of commentary I'd do on a sports match because I'm laughs. Anyway, yeah, it was that. That's hilarious. <laughs> it's good. that's just earnestly just like a blessed answer. I I like that a lot. The the idea that I mean I think I think one of the most obvious things in the entire series is that she definitely got tired of writing Quidditch at some point. Yeah, there she definitely so many... backed herself into a writing corner with that one. Yeah, uh, uh, book four having a new tournament that takes the place of like they couldn't possibly schedule it any other way <laughs> they it has to take place instead of quidditch uh that was the moment where i was like oh right you don't you don't want to write this and i don't blame you either <laughs> all right i'll read the next short ones yeah she kind of has a back and forth yeah, so we got some rapid-fire questions here. Uh, Melissa, that was a lot of fun. She's fun, referring to Luna. Uh, J.K. Rowling, I love Luna. I really love Luna. Emerson Sparts, why does Dumbledore allow Peeves to stay in the castle? Uh, J.K. Rowling, can't get him out. Emerson Sparts. <laughs> That's a good answer. <laughs> Emerson Sparts, he's Dumbledore. He can do anything. J.K. Rowling, no, 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 no. Peeves is like dry rot. You can try to eradicate it. It comes with the building. You're stuck. If you got Peeves, you're stuck. Emerson Sparks, Peeves answers to Dumbledore. J.K. Rowling, allegedly. Melissa, allegedly? J.K. Rowling, yeah, I see Peeves as like a severe pl plumbing problem in a very old building, and Dumbledore is slightly better with the spanner than most people, so he can maybe make it function better for a few weeks. Then it's going to start leaking again. Would you want Peeves gone, honestly? Melissa, if I was Harry, I might, but as a reader, I enjoy him. I enjoyed him most when he started obeying Fred and George at the end of book five. J.K. Rowling, yeah, that was fun. I enjoyed that. That was satisfying. Laughter. There were sparks. When I signed on to Emerson Messenger after the book came out, there were at least four or five people whose IM said, give her hell from us, peeves. J.K. Rowling, laughter. Ah, uh, well, Umbridge, she's a pretty evil character. I guess let's just talk about the Peeves stuff, because this yeah, back and forth goes on a lot. Uh, I'm dying at the logging into MSN Messenger and reading people's, yeah. people's Harry Potter statuses. What a throwback. Honestly, this feels late for MSN Messenger. 2007? I mean, we Is are that... reading this on the website, so... Yeah, that's maybe, true. Maybe maybe these folks are just a few years behind always, but... That's um, true. That's true. Well, behind, ahead, not sure. Yeah, yeah. Not uh, bring bring websites back. That's what I say. Absolutely. Please get rid of the three websites. I would like have more websites back. Mm -hmm. uh, um. Yeah. This is this is fun. I like. It is. It is. Honestly, like reading this and reading that that answer about Luna and and the, and the Quidditch games. Like, it's such a bummer that these books became so maudlin because <laughs> she's like you know. Say plenty of other things to to yell at and about J.K. Rowling for, but like when she's talking about like comedy and stuff, like she's fun. She's having a good time. She's writing about wacky characters. I kind of wish that this energy was in the book that they're talking about. Yeah, definitely. Um, maybe there will be some of that in in the hit new book, The Ichabog. 
I don't know if you've heard of it. Oh, no. What's the Ichabod? Seems a little wacky. You might want to check it out. <laughs> uh, should we get into these Umbridge questions? Uh, yeah, although I guess they're... Actually, I'm going to finish these off because the next yeah, one is just a separate oh, question. There we go. Okay, yeah, I'll read the one after these Umbridge ones. Um, Melissa asking about Umbridge. She's still out and about in the world. J.K. Rowling says she's still at the Ministry. Melissa says, are we going to see more of her? Uh, J.K. Rowling nods. You say that with an evil nod, J.K. Rowling. Yeah, it's too much fun to torture her not to have another little bit more before I finish. This mm. kills me. I, mm. I'm i like, I'm doubting my own sanity just because the umbrage nastiness. I don't even like to talk about it because it just feels like such a fucking bummer. But it yeah. seems so like, yes, that's what it is without saying it. That mm-hmm. I read stuff like this and I'm like, am I just wrong? No, I don't think you are. I, 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 here's, here's, here's what I feel when I read this Mm -hmm. is, uh, this is, this is exactly what we were talking about with like Elmer Fudd shooting Daffy Duck in the (laughs) face and his brains flying everywhere. Right. Like this, like, yeah, I, I, if we were talking about like, I don't know, Fred and George setting up more wacky swamp pranks in her office then the, like, yeah, I would love to see more umbrage torture. Yeah. Less in, less interested in in whatever it was we got out of Haha, now uh, she has PTSD. Isn't that funny? Let's hope we can yeah. make more jokes about that. <laughs> like super fucking funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah, thinking about the Centaur 21 gun salute triggering Umbridge's PTSD. That is so funny. <sighs> um uh yeah, not uh not not great. Not 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 that funny, I would say. <laughs> Emerson Sparts asks Mugglenet's Ask Joe winner con- sorry, Mugglenet Ask Joe contest winner Asriel Is this Undertale? Are we in Undertale? Yes. Who's twenty two asks If Voldemort ever saw a Bogart, what would it be? JK Rowling says Voldemort's fear is death. I'm so stupid. I know how to pronounce this word, but I can't. That's fine. Just skip it. I mean, it doesn't matter because she just says Voldemort's fear is death. Ignominious. I know that word. Why did I have a problem with that? Uh, Voldemort's fear is death. Ignominious death. I mean, he regards death itself as ignominious. She said it twice. I said it twice in a row. I'm proud of myself. <laughs> he thinks that it's a shameful human weakness. As you know, his worst fear is death. But how would a Bogart show that? I'm not too sure. I did think about that because I knew you were going to ask me that. And Emerson Spart says, a corpse? J.K. Rowling says, that was my conclusion, that he would see himself dead. Uh, Emerson Spart says, as soon as it became clear this question was going to win, I started getting dozens of emails from people telling me I shouldn't ask it because the answer was too obvious, except they all disagreed on what the obvious answer was. Some were sure it would be Dumbledore, some were sure it would be Harry, and some were sure it would be death. Uh, A couple of follow-ups on that. What would he see in front of the mirror of Erised? J.K. Rowling says, himself, all-powerful, and eternal. That's what he wants. This is an interesting back and forth. I, I, I think that it is good that we never had to deal with this in the book. I mean, I like this. This is cartoon Voldemort. I don't think Harry Potter yeah. ever should have been a racism allegory. That's just, Mm-mm. that's just Mm-mm. what I'm going to say about this. I think that that really ruined it yeah but i i I just the the bogart is there's something that jk rowling is very very good at 
that I wish she didn't know she was good at, mm. which is the um, uh, creating easy, like, popcorn personality flags for characters. We've got the the houses. We've got the Patronuses. Uh, and the Bogart is interesting, too, right? Because, I mean, like, it, it's it's like... These are your character note cards, right? Like, what's their personality type? What's 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 their greatest fear? What do they want? Mirror of Eris said, like, what do what does your character want? What's their motivation? It's like it's almost genius how simple all that stuff yeah, is. Yeah, I mean, the- you could build your own characters based on this framework and pr- do a pretty good job. What house are they in? What do they see in the Mirror of Eris said? What's the Patronus? What's their Bogart? Yeah, yeah. That's not like, that that's is- not the worst writing exercise ever, right? Like, that's pretty. No, good. yeah, that's. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty good set of of character questions to ask yourself. Um, what what is funny about that is uh, it, the the problem that you run into with the Bogart is that it is very literal, and I think that that was the problem that the Bogart ran into in book five was that like the Bogart worked best in book three when most of the people who were walking in front of it were like teenagers. And so it was like, oh, I'm afraid of spiders. I'm afraid of mummies. I'm afraid of, you know, just like all these uh, uh, very, like, silly, irrational childhood fears, right? But then when Molly's fear was like, oh, I don't want my family to die, and the Bogart manifested as, like, a bunch of dead people in the room, it's not, doesn't quite... I don't know, not really the same effect, not as scary. Yeah, I I mean, maybe if the story was trying to be about your childhood fears turning into real adult fears, that would be Mm. something, but it's more feels like the Bogart just serves a different purpose. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 something that, again, just was lost in the translation from like whimsical dark fairy tale for children to like espionage novel. Right. Um. Next question for you, starting with the Dumbledore stuff, I guess. Um, what would Dumbledore see in the Mirror of Era said? J.K. Rowling, I can't answer that. What would Dumbledore's Bogart be? I can't answer that either, but for theories, you should read six again. There you go. Um, so I guess let's talk about Dumbledore for a second. Yeah. Um, did we see Dumbledore look in the Mirror of Era said in um, Crimes of Grindelwald? I can't remember. Yes, we did. And what did he see? The- Grindelwald? He saw Grindelwald. So that's been answered. What would his Bogart be? I just read uh, six. I don't. <laughs> what's my theory? Yeah. What? What would it be? That this is phrased like it's uh, a very probably obvious. Probably just like seeing our Ariana die again. Oh yeah, because it well, except we don't know that because we don't we don't learn that he even had a sister until Elphias Doge tells us at the beginning of book seven. He just all this, we got out of book six was him drinking the bone hurting juice and saying like no take me instead please yeah and i don't know if you can be afraid of something that's already happened i mean you can be (laughs) but i don't know if that's how the bogart works (laughs) the bogart the bogart getting like very metaphysical would be very interesting to me (laughs) i feel like it should have to not be metaphysical is the problem you know yeah yeah i guess i i guess here's the the problem is that like when when all of your characters like fears and guilt lies with like other dead characters the bogart becomes way more boring because it's like well which dead character is the bogart going to be right like is it gonna be dead weasleys is it gonna be dead dumbledores (laughs) is it gonna be dead potters dead everyone in the world that would be scary 
Oh, fuck. That'd be so scary. God, I was thinking the other day about how uh, um, Newt's Bogart was a desk job. Oh, I forgot about that. And, like, how fucking funny that is. And, like, al- almost really good. Except that, like, we're supposed to accept it as, like, like damn, that's why Newt's cool and, and, and smart and not, like, oh, Newt is, like very snooty right like (laughs) newt is kind of an asshole newt's a little condescending newt's (laughs) anti-worker newt's an old-timey naturalist yeah yeah um whose turn is it uh i'll keep going because i stopped after like this dumbledore staff saw more of this back and forth if harry was to look in the mirror of erised at the end of book six what would he see J.K. Rowling, he would have to see Voldemort finished, dead, gone, wouldn't he? Because he knows now that he will have no peace and no rest. There it is again! You can't... You need to not have the the ultimate wish and fear-granting machines. They need to show things other than dead characters. (laughs) Oh, God. That's the thing. Everyone, everyone has their greatest fear and it's of someone dead, and everyone also has their greatest desire, someone dead. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> makes really makes you think, huh? Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> um, Emerson, is the last word of book seven still scar? JK Rowling, at the moment, I wonder if it will remain that way. Oh yeah, check your check your ebook. I don't think it is. I think the last word is well. I assume she means last word in the epilogue. Yeah. Yep, it's always well. Yes, I was right. I can't believe I remember that. It just, the last sentence, well, the last two sentences are, the scar had not pained Harry for 19 years, all was well. Now that you read that, I wonder what the version was where the last word was scar. All was well. Harry never again hurt in his scar. (laughs) (laughs) Nailed it. Got it in one. That's exactly what it used to be. Um... (laughs) Uh, she said, at the moment, I wonder if it will remain that way. Melissa, have you fiddled with it? J.K. Rowling, I haven't actually physically fiddled with it. There are definitely a couple of things that will need changing. They're not big deals, but I always knew I would have to rewrite it. Melissa, but it's definitely still on that track? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Melissa, how do you feel that you're starting the last book? J.K. Rowling, it feels scary, actually. It's been 15 years. Can you imagine? One of the longest adult relationships of my life. (laughs) <laughs> uh, this will be the last one I read. Melissa, have you started? J.K. Rowling, yeah, realistically, I don't think I'm going to be able to do real work on it until next year. I see next year as the time that I'm really going to write seven, but I've started and I'm doing little bits and pieces here and there when I can. But you've seen how young Mackenzie still is, and you can bear actual witness to the fact that I do have a very small real baby, so I'm going Not to- Not a fake baby. It's a real baby, everyone. Real baby. So I'm going to try and give Mackenzie what I gave David, which is pretty much a year of uninterrupted me time, and then I'll start writing seriously again. She's going to read them the Ichabog! It's all fucking connected. It is all connected. It's all fucking connected. Emerson Sparts. What prompted people to start referring to Voldemort as you-know-who and he must not be named? J.K. Rowling. It happens many times in history. (laughs) Well, (laughs) more and more people are saying this. happens many times in history well you know this person this because you're that kind of what okay i need to back (laughs) up here 
It happens many times in history. Well, you'll know this because you're that kind of people. <laughs> what? But for those who don't, having a taboo on a name is quite common in certain civilizations. In Africa, there are tribes where the name is never used. Your name is a sacred part of yourself, and you are referred to as the son of so-and-so, the brother of so-and-so, and you're given these pseudonyms because your name is something that can be used magically against you if you're known. It's like a part of your soul. That's a powerful taboo in many cultures and across many folklores. On a more prosaic note, in the 1950s in London, there were a pair of gangsters called the Cray Twins. <laughs> Story. This is a Joe Biden-ass answer. What the fuck is she talking about? Uh, the story goes that the people didn't speak the name Cray. You just didn't mention it. You didn't talk about them because retribution was so brutal and so bloody. I think that that's an impressive demonstration of strength that you can convince someone not to use your name. Impressive in the sense that demonstrates how deep the level of fear is that you can inspire. It's not something to be admired. This is those two examples could not be further apart. <laughs> probably just stick with the second one the second yeah the second one i see relating to the the like the because what she's describing about the like the african tradition here that she's she's selected is like that's that that's different because the name is sacred not because it's evil and the cray twins might show up and kill you <laughs> That is, what the fuck is she on about here? That is I love so it. funny. It's, it is so hilarious how in-depth she went there when it is just not that hard to, like, know the concept of Rumpelstiltskin, you know? Yeah, also not the question that Emerson asked. Emerson, and he even follows up, I mean, was there a specific event? <laughs> Jenny Rowling, with Voldemort, it was gradual. He was killing and doing some pretty evil things. In the chapter of Lord Voldemort's request, when he comes back to request that teaching post in book six, you get a real sense that he's already gone quite a long way into the dark arts. Yeah, By that it's, time it's the alone, red eyes. He's got the, he's got the fable vision going on. <laughs> By that time, a lot of people will be choosing not to use his name. During that time, his name was never used except by Dumbledore and people who were above the superstition. Okay. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> All right. You get you get a juicy one here. <sighs> Melissa, speaking of world events, J.K. Rowling, chapter one. I actually don't know what this is referring to. Okay. Melissa, yeah, chapter one and current world events, specifically in the last four years, terrorism and the like. Has it factored into your writing? Has it shaped your writing? J.K. Rowling, here we go. No, never consciously, in the sense that I've never thought, quote, it's time for a post-9-11 Harry Potter book. Bullshit! <laughs> no, but what Voldemort does in many senses is terrorism, and that was quite clear in my mind before 9-11 happened. I was going to read last night, i.e. do the midnight reading at the castle from chapter one. What? Oh, she, um... The like reading events she did where she read the book out loud for an audience oh. on the on release day. That's okay. yeah, that's very confusingly I phrased. Thought she, here. I thought she was like, you know, my normal reading where I go to the castle and read at midnight, like a ritual. Um, that was the reading until the seventh of July. 
bombings in London, it then became quite clear to me that it was going to be grossly inappropriate for me to read a passage in which the Muggle Prime Minister is discussing a mass Muggle killing. It just wasn't appropriate. And there are touches of levity in there. It was totally inappropriate. So that's Yeah, there's nutting. There's 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 Dementors coming everywhere. Absolutely. It was totally inappropriate. So that's when I had to change and I decided to go for the joke shop. Which is all very symbolic, because of course Harry said to Fred and George, I've got a feeling we'll all be needing a few laughs before long. <laughs> also it's the al- scene where they say that they're they're selling flak jackets to the ministry. <laughs> <laughs> it all ties together nicely. So no, not consciously, but there are parallels, obviously. I think one of the times I felt the parallels was when I was writing about the arrest of Stan Shunpike, you know? I always planned that these kinds of things would happen, but these have very powerful resonances, given that I believe, and many people believe, that there have been instances of persecution of people who did not deserve to be persecuted, even while we're attempting to find the people who have committed utter atrocities. These things just happen. It's human nature. There were some very startling parallels at the time I was writing it. The war in Iraq, but I do support the war in Afghanistan. (laughs) That's what this is. Yeah, it was so messed up when, like, random white teenagers were being arrested for terrorism. Yeah, Yeah, so fucked up that that happened all the time (laughs) post 9-11. What a fucking banger answer. Oh my god. There's so much going on here. Like, like, first of all, again, bullshit that she never consciously thought it was time for post 9-11 Harry Potter book. Like, I just fundamentally do not believe that, right? Um, although, it, I guess we do get one interesting tidbit here. Um, is I believe I cited the July 7th bombings in our reading of that chapter way back when we did. And I, I wondered mm. if, if allowed if that was in, the inspiration. But I guess that was written pre that. So that that's an interesting tidbit there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Nonetheless, uh, what a fucking funny answer that was. These things just happen. It's human nature. What a take, mm, J.K. Rowling. What a what a what a take. Well, I think that's probably a, a good answer to leave a question to leave on. Except I also want to read the follow up question to this. They had this big question about is Harry Potter post nine eleven now, and then and then followed up with something very funny. And it's time to talk about the Sorting Hat now. Has the sorting hat ever been wrong? J.K. Rowling, no. <laughs> what does it have to be wrong about? Yeah, it's an opinion. It's it's a hat that decides where you go, like, who you're going to be hanging out with between classes. It's not like, it's not an oracle. Right. Oh my god, what a funny transition. They're just, just swinging hard from, is it? Is this current events too? Is the Sorting Hat wrong? It's very funny. All right. Well, I could I could probably keep reading these forever, but we should probably save the rest of this unless you want to do a couple more here. <sighs> probably shouldn't. It's tempting. It's tempting. It is tempting. But we should probably take it to the close. Yeah, let's do it. Our theme song is Hot McGonagall by Cheshire Moon. Huge thanks to them, as always, for letting us use that as our theme song. You can find them on Bandcamp, and you can find us at patreon.com slash streetcast. We have all kinds of fun bonus content for you there for the low, low price of $3 a month. Uh, We're talking about The Witcher. We're talking about Umineko. We talked about bourbon this week. We We got lots of stuff on the common room agenda. And uh, what are we reading next week, Liz? I don't want to read this chapter. Is, uh uh-oh, I know what's coming. 
I'm pretty sure. I don't know. I don't mm. actually know. I don't know if it's the one, but it's getting we're getting closer to it. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's it's this one. So next week, even though I don't want to, we're gonna be reading chapter four, the seven potters. So get ready for some death and destruction. Get ready for the most important death in the series. Yeah. I think there are most... two deaths in this in this chapter, which is kind yeah, of crazy. I, well, I think, and, and what's hilarious is that, okay, so we, obviously the most horrific one is, is our dear friend Hedwig is mm-hmm. going to bite it. Yeah. What I find most hilarious about this, if I remember right, and I could be wrong, but I think that we get a graphic on page visual of Hedwig's death. And I think that Moody dies, like, off screen. And they just all land and are like, damn, Did- Moody didn't. <laughs> yeah. Which is so funny to me. That is but also I how I remember it. Yeah, this is, maybe maybe I've got that fucked up in my head because, like, that is also the order of magnitude in which I care about the deaths. But The Hedwig thing is so messed up. I didn't mention it in the chapter, but, like, the whole, this whole chapter that we read this week was all talking about how like Hedwig is like sad and depressed because she hasn't been able to go out flying and she's yeah. just going to get like fall to her death in her cage chapter after this. Fuck. Why? What a bummer. What a bummer. It's just, mean, really- it's just sad and mean for no reason. <laughs> Jiggy really hates animals. We've established this many times over. It's just, I just don't get it. This doesn't have to be game of Thrones. <laughs> Fucking wizard boy book. <laughs> Would you like to hear some words of wisdom from Emerson Sparks? I need some. All right. Emerson Sparks says, instead of giving someone an IQ test, (laughs) just watch them use Google. (laughs) Earnestly don't know what that means. (laughs) (laughs) That's the new, um, uh, you take a girl out for the first time, you got to take her swimming. Uh, (laughs) She's got to sit her in front of Google. You gotta watch her use Google. All right. Well, ask her weird trivia questions, and then when she doesn't know, you'd be like, "Oh, why don't you just Google it?" (laughs) Does she use the advanced search? Does she use quotes? Does she does she include include a date range? So many, (laughs) so many uh, uh, things to look out for there. Well, Emerson, here's what I think. I think you should Google. Another book to read. Please read another book. Please read another book. There's a lady there, makes ocean rolls seem tame. But know what you're after if you catch a eye. Cause this hot mama is just a cat in disguise.